And here we go. Um, it was truly a masterpiece. I don't know about all that. Ugh, absolutely the worst movie ever. Hands down, bar none, the greatest action spectacular ever. Well, uh, the other one just stuck him up. Are you asking me? I promise I'm not gonna sing this time around. Welcome to Don't Be Crazy Podcast. I'm Justin Kavanagh, and with me as always is Mr. Zachary Rancourt. Here we discuss and dissect what makes a film, past or present, absolutely amazing or just pure rubbish. All that we ask of each other, don't be crazy. Don't be crazy, Zach. What's up? Hey. <laughs> okay, the reason I said that was because I just watched the episode, the final episode of The Office when they have the bachelor party <laughs> and Oscar's like, I'm one of the boys. I got to think about what I used to do when I was a straight man. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> what's up? <laughs> so it, was funnier, it was funnier in my heart. But... <laughs> I like the other one with the, with the Indian ch- dudes and they're all like, what are you doing? <laughs> that one was funny. It was like their take on it. It was great. Oh, I don't remember that. <laughs> it was pretty funny. Hello, Justin. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm doing good. Uh, coming off a seventh place victory in Warzone. Pretty upset about that one, but it's okay. We're gonna we're gonna collect our thoughts. We're gonna practice, and we'll we'll get back to the top. You know, mm-hmm. we gotta be like those those uh, '90s Chicago Bulls, basically. There you go. Going, you... going for that six peat. There you go. <laughs> oh man. Uh quick shout out. I, I listened to the Geek Legacy podcast. Very excited to have you guys back. And it was great. It was just good to hear your voices, to hear your amicable ramblings. And yeah, I'm uh, I'm happy you guys are back. Yeah, it was fun. We haven't we don't really have a format just yet. We're just kind of getting back into the swing of things. So we used to do geek news, as it were, like a a weekly recap, but now it's just kind of, kind of hanging out, and see what's going on, anything crazy in the world, then we'll discuss it. You know, I'm just waiting. I'm just waiting for that fans only page of the uh, of the live stream video that you guys did. So, oh yeah, oh, yeah. I have that. <laughs> yeah, we were working out some kinks. It, it actually worked out really, really well. I just turned an, a 90 minute episode into uh, an hour and 10 minute episode. So, damn, we might we might we might do like a sort of full blown version and then like an edited down audio version i don't know yeah i got you haven't, haven't decided yet work out all that kinks yeah. well between all that uh have you watched anything lately i don't think so dude i've been playing so much call of duty that i don't even know what to do with myself <laughs> i'm hearing like yeah dude, over <laughs> i'm hearing like gunshots in my sleep now it's nuts <laughs> especially like wearing headphones and you hear like the footsteps when they're chasing behind oh, you yeah. and everything i don't know it's starting to get to me I'm like, I'll switch you. I run into a room, I slide. (laughs) Alex falls down, you revive her. (laughs) Yeah. And I always get scared when someone just takes me out in the middle of nowhere. I'm just like Mm -hmm. in the game, I'm playing, and then bam, I just get like sniped in the face or something. Mm -hmm. It always scares me. I'm always just like, Jesus Christ. (laughs) Every time. Yeah. (laughs) Can't get used to it. I've definitely screamed um, when I've just gotten like blown up, you know, at random. I've screamed very loud. it just it's intense with these with these headphones but mm-hmm. yeah i think i have like a magnetic outfit because grenades just flock to me no matter <laughs> no matter where people are when they throw them i run towards the grenade i blow up i run away from the grenade i blow up i run to the left of the grenade i blow up they, i just always <laughs> go wherever the the grenade is it's so annoying Ooh, piece of candy <laughs> yeah exactly i'm just like oh my god this is so stupid but whatever mm. 
Nice. Well, yeah, I've also been playing Call of Duty, but um, I, I watched a couple things. I finally watched Sonic, and I liked it. Um, it was a fun movie. It was, you know, uh, geared a little towards kids, obviously, because it's kind of like a kids movie. Are you sure it's a kids movie? Because the last hey, movie you didn't think was get... a kids movie. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, so, anyways, uh, it's uh, it was good though. It was it was comical at times, um, predictable, but I enjoyed it. I think Jim Carrey was fun. I'm excited to see what they can do with it. And growing up as a Sega owner and a Sonic player, it was good to have that nostalgic feel. I also watched uh, the BC Boys story on Apple TV Plus, and I highly, highly recommend it because you are a fan of the Beastie Boys. Yeah, me? Yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. In 1986. <laughs> <laughs> Light licensed ill. Yeah, I used to bump that all the time in high school. Here's a little story about Paul Revere. Just you carry your, your boombox? No, <laughs> I had a Walkman. <laughs> I didn't have the strength to carry a boombox for miles over my shoulder. It's triple digits, baby. <laughs> yeah. And batteries. Those things took like 18D batteries and they lasted like all of five minutes. <laughs> well, it is. Uh, it's it's very good. Um, it's, it's a cool look into their lifestyles and it's filmed in front of a live audience. So it's uh, it's neat. Like the Cosby show. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we go one... in front of a live studio audience. Can we go one episode without you talking about Bill Cosby? <laughs> I just Maybe. imagine you d- doing the eye roll and it's gross. <laughs> I have a Jello pudding pop cardboard cutout of him. It's pretty I don't dicey. Wanna, I don't want to know what you do with that at night. Alex makes me keep it in the garage. <laughs> Where it should be. <laughs> um, and then also, I finally decided to make the call and I started Better Call Saul. Um, it's good. I'm on episode five or six of season one. So no spoilers, but I like it a lot. Um, I think that a really cool thing about it is that like with Breaking Bad, it took a couple seasons to really get into it. With this, you already have, you know, the formula for how to make such a good show with like Vince Gilligan already knows. And you already have the established characters. Um, I really like it a lot. Bob Odenkirk is, is very good. He teeters that line of being a criminal and also and also being, you know, ethical, but it's just and he's also looking out for number one. So I I, I like it so far. I'm excited to see what's going to happen. I have no idea. It is an incredible show. It's my aside from I think Barry and Better Call Saul are the two best shows on television. I agree that Barry is up there. I was blown away. I'm so excited for the third season if it ever happens. But uh, yeah, I'm very excited for that. So great. Um, and, that's, you, and that's it. And that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, Better Call Saul is fantastic. The uh, finale was uh, last week for season five, and uh, it got my got my motor running. It was it was intense, as it were. A lot of ins, a lot of outs, a lot of what have yous. <laughs> um, are you ready to talk about the feel good movie of two thousand and six? Hell yeah, what movie's that? We are doing Children of Men, directed by Alfonso Cuaron. Famous from Roma, Itu Mama Tambien, Gravity, freaking Harry Potter, The Prisoner of Azkaban. <laughs> you know? I just like your uh, I like your accent. <laughs> Pretty good, right? <laughs> yeah, it's good. He is, uh, real quick, he's one of my favorite directors, and so I was very happy when you suggested this film, but we'll get into that. Oh, yeah, that was my pick. Mm-hmm. I never know. I always feel like I'm picking a movie that I know you'll like, 
<laughs> I mean, you typically you typically pick trash, so it's good yeah. that you picked it. You picked a good movie finally. Sure, sure. <laughs> Whatever you say. <laughs> Holy smokes! Uh, this movie was uh, written by quite a few people. You have uh, Mr. Alfonso Cuaron. You have Timothy Sexton, David Arata, Mark Fergus, Hawk Otsby. And um, it's based on the novel by P.D. James. That is Pneumonia Daniel James. What? <laughs> I don't know it's what the right. P stands for. <laughs> <laughs> Just took a guess. The old uh, stab in the dark, as it were. <laughs> uh, the cinematographer for this movie is Emmanuel Lubetsky. A.K.A. Chivo, and he is uh, responsible for so many great films. Uh, he did the cinematography for Gravity, Birdman, the Re- uh, I almost said the Remington, the Revenant. The Revenant. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the Revenant. Uh, yeah, no, he's he's done a ton of movies. He works constantly with the Three Amigos, which are Alfonso Cuarón, Alejandro de G. Arnato. In no, in ah, oh, fuck, I can I can never say it. In Aruto, something like that, and then uh, Guillermo del Toro. So he works with them a lot, and he's won three Oscars in the past, I think, 10 years. He's uh, very good. Chivo. Yeah, he, good stuff. Yeah. Ah, you, should go, you should go see him. <laughs> yeah, I actually have. I met him once. Really? Yeah, true story. Uh, before, oh. before Gravity came out. Oh, cool. What'd yeah. you say to him? Hi. <laughs> <laughs> Just like that. It was pretty good. Uh, yeah, it was at uh, the old SDCC, San Diego Comic Con. Oh, nice. Yeah, good stuff. That was actually a pretty good year for me. Um, anyway, let's see what else we got here. Um, cast members. Sorry. Uh, Clive Owen. This is a guy who's been around forever, and he's been given some pretty big movies, but for whatever reason, he just doesn't really draw a lot of dollars to the box office. Um, I think he only has a handful of movies that have broke $100 million, and it's not necessarily because of him. Like, uh, Born Identity had, uh, that was 2002. That movie made $214 million, but I would say that's mainly because of Matt Damon. Uh, King Arthur, Clive Owen had a starring role in that. Obviously, he was King Arthur. It was 2004. That actually made $203 million, and that was just like what we were talking about last week in this era of adventure movies where we had... Lord of the Rings, pirate movies, and now King Arthur. I think that really sort of helped that particular movie. Uh, Closer, that had some serious star power. That made $115 million, but that had Julia Roberts, Natalie Portman, and Jude Law, who was extremely relevant in 2004. Uh, Sin City, that was a huge ensemble cast, but that made $158 million. Um, that was in 2005. And then 2006 was Inside Man, which had, obviously, uh, Denzel Washington, which is a big deal, and that was 186 million. And, and Jodie Foster, yeah, and your uh, your buddy uh, Chiwetelagia for he uh, he was also <laughs> oh yeah that's right he was a detective he was like the the second detective to Denzel yeah who's also in this movie and um, we also have Julianne Moore Michael Caine um, and your buddy uh, Charlie Hunnam <laughs> Charlie Hunnam <laughs> yeah he was uh, Sons of Anarchy. Yeah, Jax, right? Yeah. I've never seen Sons of Anarchy, but I know that. Oh, I've seen every episode. It's pretty good. And I have a nephew named Jax. They just go... Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
But yeah, I just thought that was interesting about Clive Owen. He's he's been in a lot of movies, but um, he just doesn't bring a lot of dollars to the box office. Did you ever see Shoot 'Em Up? I have. It did not make a hundred million dollars. <laughs> it, it made like a hundred dollars, but I own it. I I enjoyed it. But you're right. I'm, I'm not. Like, I'm not saying that he doesn't make good movies. I'm just saying his right. movies don't make a lot of money. Yeah, he's not a box office draw, but no. he's definitely been in a lot of uh, memorable films. Sure. So it's interesting, though. Yeah. Whatever happened to Clive Owen? I don't know. He died on a boat. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> oh man, too soon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, that old chestnut. Um, you know, funny story. Why don't you talk for a second? Because I don't have the critical reception. Yeah. Uh, as as par for the course for Justin. Um so yeah, uh Clive Owen, uh he's he's just an interesting actor. I when you were listing some of those movies, I completely forgot that he was in Sin City. And I think that right there says a lot. Um, I believe that Inside Man might have been one of his his stronger performances because he played such a. I mean, I guess you could say he was the main character, but I think Jodie Foster and Denzel also kind of split that, too. But uh, he he did such a great job at being so calculated. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed him in that one, but I don't yeah. really. Off the top of my head, I completely forgot he was in the Born Identity. Yeah, he's the bad guy. Um, yeah, I doesn't he shoot a shotgun in a field or something like that? No, it's been a long time since I've seen Drayton Born. So, well, he, I forget what gun he has, but I know that um, Jason Bourne grabs like some old cowboy gun because <laughs> that's all they got <laughs> in the house. Yeah, uh, you know, a slingshot. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I, this is his best best performance, but Inside Man I think is a very close second. So sure, but he has um he has sunglasses and a mask on most of that movie. It's true, it's true. I just like how calculated he is and how well he, he he's the narrator too. Mm-hmm. Tells you a story. It's pretty good. You're about to tell about three bad brothers you know so well. <laughs> it started <laughs> way back in history when I rock MCA and me Mike D. <laughs> We had a little horsey named Paul Revere. <laughs> oh, jeez. Just man, nice. my horsey there in a quart of beer. <laughs> oh, here we go. All right, do you have the reception? <laughs> I do. I did remarkably well. You know, while we're young, oh my I know, God. right, dude? <laughs> so I actually saw this movie on opening day, and I remember this day because why doesn't I, that surprise me, <laughs> dude? Check this out. I actually went on a double date. It was uh, me. Uh, my now ex-wife and my friend Tortuga and his ex-fiance. No one's together anymore. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, funny story. He was kind of a piece of shit and she cheated on him. Aww. Yeah. Well, I mean, no, he was a nice no, guy. He was just lazy and she didn't Aww. like that. She wanted to go get her. So she went and got one. <laughs> a bit of a go getter herself. Doesn't matter, man. No, no sense in cheating. That's that's rude. Anyway, what I'm getting <laughs> at is I remember this night because um, after the movie, we went out to eat. And um, I remember getting this chicken and rice bowl. And I my very first bite was this gross, fatty, rubbery piece. And I was like, that's it. I'm not eating this shit anymore. And that was one of the reasons why I, be- aside from animal cruelty, one of the reasons why I stopped eating meat. 
pretty crazy, right? Because children of men. <laughs> yeah. I just remember that. Like, I just took a bite and I was like, son of a bitch. And I still had like this whole bowl full of food. And it was literally my first bite. And I just got so grossed out and I couldn't do it. Yeah. My story is similar-esque to you. I just don't like reheating my food in the microwave. I hate the way it tasted. So I was just like, I'm going to stop eating meat. And then all the animal rights things came up. But yeah. Sure. My, <laughs> mine, was, mine was similar. <laughs> No, it's all good. Um, so this movie is actually sitting pretty good. It's uh, certified fresh, 92% on the old tomato meter there. Uh, it's pretty good. Uh, let's see here. Um, Mr. Michael Compton from Bowling Green Daily News says, A rare kind of film, thought-provoking, but full of intense action scenes. He gives it a B. Not too shabby. A B? Damn. Yeah. Uh, Carl De Los Santos from Smash Cut Reviews says the final 25 minutes is truly filmmaking at its absolute best. Hmm. I feel like this whole movie has a lot of moments mm-hmm. that are kind of like that. Where you're just like, whoa. Not that there's anything really uh, like technique-wise, like groundbreaking. It's just... It's the immersion is 100% there. Like, honestly, it's like a like a fly on the wall almost the entire movie, which is kind of weird. Yeah, totally. Uh, Let's see here. Grant Watson from Fiction Machine says you find yourself reaching for that terribly overused and abused superlative masterpiece. He gives it a 10 out of 10. I like Grant. Grant's a good guy. We go way back. <laughs> we once we once saw this in theaters, and then we went and had a chicken and rice bowl afterwards. And uh... <laughs> oh, here we go. Here's a fun one. Uh, Nigel Andrews from Financial Times doesn't have a picture, so I can't you know judge a book by its cover. But um, P. D. James, Pneumonia Daniels, uh, his novel must have made. More sense than Cuaron's cheerful but incoherent screen adaptation. Cheerful but incoherent screen adaptation. I don't know if you saw the same movie, bro. <laughs> Nigel is uh, a bit of a crazy town banana pants. He thought it was cheerful? I guess so. Interesting. He thinks that the novel makes more sense than this cheerful but incoherent screen adaptation. Interesting. Hmm. But uh, I want to leave it at that. The kind of craziness. Mm-hmm. Oh, here we go. Here's one more. Uh, Kathy Mayo from the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. Uh, this is one movie that will have a lasting impact even if you are forced to watch it on a 10-inch black and white zenith. Hmm. That's true. And I think because of such heavy-hitting themes and overall just how terrible humans are (laughs) i think that does leave a lasting impression people are at their absolute worst in this movie Mm -hmm. and it's very sad Mm -hmm. and with that i guess i will say that it had a budget of 76 million dollars um and let's see here gross in the u.s 35 million worldwide you're looking at 70.5 yeah didn't do so well not super successful. No. That's uh that's interesting why. Uh I wonder so two thousand six. Hmm. 
I wonder what people were really thinking or doing back then. Maybe people were just so not woke like they are now. But uh, because <laughs> yeah. because 70, 70 million worldwide doesn't seem like a 98% on Rotten Tomatoes. So which is interesting that it would have been that low, uh, you know, globally. But who knows? I guess I guess we can we can discuss that a little more. So do you want to hear sure. some uh, do you want to hear some fun trivia facts? Yeah, let's do it, man. These, these are going to knock your socks off, Buster. Sweet. I, I am wearing socks right now. We'll see if they're still on by the time you're done. <laughs> the birth of Key's baby was achieved by putting Claire Hope uh, Ashatee into a set piece which had a fake lower body. A prop baby was pushed out of it for Clive Owen to hold. The prop baby was later digitally erased and replaced by a fully moving CGI baby, which I definitely noticed and I was like, oh, okay, well, that makes sense. Other effects such as breath vapor were also added digitally. You can't have no babies around explosions like that. I'm no dad, but I I know a thing or two about explosions, so can't have no babies around them. Uh, Theo, Clive Owen, just in case you didn't know, does not use or even touch a gun at any point throughout the entire movie. Hmm, fascinating. This movie never explains the reason for infertility. This has been attributed to Koran's uh, dislike for expository film. He quotes, there's a kind of cinema I detest, which is a cinema that is about exposition and explanations, he once said. It's a, it's become a medium for lazy readers. Cinema is a hostage of narrative, and I'm very good at narrative as a hostage of cinema. Wow. I feel the same way. Remember, we were just talking about this the other day. Like, I don't need an explanation. I don't want someone to become an expert all of a sudden and tell me why something is this way. I don't need the answers. Just tell me the situation, and I'll go from there. Well, I mean, that's and that's world building 101 is is you want to just be bought into the world because that's how you, you, you are fully, um, you know, in, involved in the movie and that's how you get bought in instantly uh title crawls can work sometimes you know like star wars and whatever but it's it's rare and it's 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 weird when you have that because you're like what the hell you know i i'd rather just watch this unfold but and then finally theo never gets to smoke an entire cigarette i thought that one was really interesting because he's always smoking but never finishing hmm. okay well, are you ready to jump in? Because I'm going to read a brief synopsis. I'll try to make it brief. <laughs> uh, all right. In the year 2027, unexplained infertility has ceased the birth of children globally. The world mo- mourns the loss of the world's youngest human, an 18-year-old boy, Diego. Few major cities remain as strongholds for civilization, where immigrants are treated as prisoners by their Orwellian government. Theo, a former political activist turned apathetic bureaucratic reporter, continues his mundane life filled with no hope of the non-existent future in sight. A chance encounter with Theo's ex-wife, Julian, presents Theo with a lucrative financial opportunity that he decides to take. Theo must get transit papers for a girl of much interest, Key. Theo successfully gets the papers and joins Julian and her group of equal rights radicals, the Fishes. As the group continues their journey, they are abruptly attacked by immigrants. They flee from the scene, but Julian is shot dead in the process. Luke, the newly appointed leader of the fishes, drives the group to a farmstead in remote England. Theo is summoned to the barn by Miriam, Key's caretaker, and in a stunning revelation, Theo discovers that Key is pregnant. The fishes persuade Key to stay at the farm to have the baby, but Theo discovers that Luke had planned an attack and killed Julian and that the fishes will be using Key as a pawn. Theo, Miriam, and Key escape the farm and attempt to reach the human project for safe passage. They flee to the house of former activist and friend Jasper. 
Jasper devises a plan for the group to make it to the human project, but his plans are cut short when the fishes track down the group and kill Jasper, leaving Theo, Key, and Miriam to go their own way. With help from Sid, a friend of Jasper's, they work their way into Bexhill Prison, but Key starts going into labor. In a valiant act, Miriam sacrifices herself so that Theo and Key can escape. The two find shelter as Key delivers her baby in what can only be described as a miracle. The next morning, the crew escaped danger only to fall into the arms of the fishes. The group is separated until all-out war happened around them. Theo chases after Key and Luke into an abandoned building where Luke perishes, but not before shooting at Theo. Key and Theo begin to escape the building while the fighting continues. As they pass, everyone stops fighting, marveling at the miracle of an actual human baby. Theo and Key proceed to the dinghy and make their way to the human project. Theo reveals that he has been shot and slowly dies, but his sacrifice is not in vain, as Key and the baby are then picked up by the human project. As long as we have faith and chance, we can save humanity through hope. There you go. All right, Justin, my friend, when you said the first time you saw this 2006, you already gave it. That's awesome. Uh, did you love it? Did you hate it? Were you mixed on it? How did you feel? Um, I I thought it was a really good movie. I don't think that I enjoyed it. It's hard to find joy in this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but I remember thinking, well, it's a pretty good movie. Pretty good movie. You maybe should see it, but only on a matinee. <laughs> I mean, it's hard. It's hard. It's one of those movies where, regardless of how well it's filmed and shot and all the everything that's happening, it's just hard to walk away with a smile on your face. It's just not a, a joyful movie. <laughs> Whereas me, I, I like to have fun and laugh and and smile in my movie going experience. And this was literally just showing me the horrors of the world and how terrible people can be. And 30 seconds of hope at the end is hardly a payoff um, for two hours of misery. Hmm. Has that changed on this viewing at all? Nope, not at all. Wow. I, just, I sat there just like, okay, here we go. And just waiting <laughs> for that final 30 seconds. Interesting. Well, it ain't no fun if the homies can't have none. So there you go. Uh, so I was, oh goodness, I was probably 20 when I saw this and I got it, but I wasn't really, I was like, eh, I don't know. It was okay. Uh, then in college, my friend Aaron, he, him and I watched it and we appreciated it a little bit more because we, we thought we knew everything as college kids do. But then I saw it several times after that. Uh, and then most recently yesterday when I watched it, um, I'm just going to say it. I absolutely love this movie so much. I, I get where you're coming from with the whole bleak feeling because it is. It's it's very morose. The entire film is that way. It's hard to walk away being like, hey, sunny day. You know, it's it, it's it's very bleak. But I think that's the point of it. And um, a well, lot yeah, of I'm it not is, saying it's not. I'm just saying sure. it's not. An, I don't enjoy watching the movie is what I'm saying. I can appreciate that it's great and it's filmed marvelously. But at the end of the day. I would rather watch fucking basketball than <laughs> than Children of Men. So it's not rewatchable for you. I've seen it twice. <laughs> I mean, what about what about Lucky Number Three? I mean, it's not going to change. I, I like I said, I, it's, it's brilliantly shot, and the story is great. I just see zero joy in this movie, and I don't want to spend two hours being angry at what I'm watching. <laughs> it just doesn't right. make sense to me. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can, I, it's a total a, I give it an a plus. It's a great movie. I just don't ever want to watch it again. Yeah. 
No, fair enough. I totally understand that. Uh, so uh, breaking this down, it's I think this is a movie that you is 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 bound for discussion because there's so many good themes and good good elements in in the film. And this really good YouTuber nerd writer, he did a video that focused on how the background was present while you're also watching the foreground. And so Quran, he does this a lot um, where you have, I mean, from the opening shot, right? You have everybody in that coffee shop crowded, but there's focus on what's happening in the background too. And and it, it gives you this, this detail into the world around you. He, he world builds using the camera and, and he relies on the intellect of the viewer. So that that's where, we were talking about the the exposition. He's not spelling it out for us. He's letting us see it unfold. And we're able to see what kind of world we are in. And and this is one, you know, that mandates fertility tests and offers suicide drugs as uh, as an alternative when you're ready to let go. Um, it's it's really interesting. And he he in the video, he compares it to the news where all the attention focuses on the top story, but pushes the rest to the background. So all everybody is watching this 18 year old Diego, who, who the youngest man in the world who died and everyone is, is transfixed on it except for Theo because Theo's at that cynical stage in his life where he's like, it's hopeless. What the hell? I don't care. All that stuff. Um, interject anytime you want to, Justin. I'm also just kind of talking, but uh, I think that the way that, the camera follows the characters it follows them but then it shifts randomly to certain parts of, of of the surroundings and it focuses on the myriads myriad of things that are going on around us to show us that this is london cool but there's a lot going on here there is you know internment camps basically there are there are internment camps there are explosions uh, there's advertisements for fertility te- testing and orwellian government military police states, whatever you want to call it. This just it allows the viewer to experience that world around them. Sorry, I know that was a lot, but <laughs> I just, I, I think that that was so interesting. Did you happen to notice any of that stuff while you were watching this film? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think this is one of those movies that kind of lends itself to you um, just kind of exploring what's happening on screen. Clive Owen's actually in every single scene in this movie. Uh, is he really? I think so. Every, yeah. every single scene. The the only time, yeah. I, I, now that I think about it, the only time you don't see him is when, um, the camera goes away from him and goes yes. to like Julianne Moore and her fishes, uh, yes. when he's still tied up with the light on him. Yeah. It's um, it's very much like a, a documentarian guerrilla film style where there we're we're like that documentarian and we're filming Clive Owen, but we're also stopping to look and see what's going on around us. Yeah, it's it's just it's interesting. We're you know we're we're omnipresent as an observer. Yeah, omnipresent <laughs> like Santa Claus. Yes, definitely like Santa Claus. But so so through that um. Th- a big a big part of this movie that is is pretty on the nose and pretty apparent is is art. Uh, there's tons of, of references to music, to famous books, to art, to physical um, you know sculptures and paintings and everything. Uh, why is art to you, Justin? Why, why do you think it's so important in this movie? Uh, I think sort of like a preservation of 
a different time, maybe? I think, so it's it's interesting when Theo, being as cynical as he is, when he meets up with his cousin and he's like, what's the point of you having all of this? You know, like this isn't going to last long. And then his cousin just says, he's like, I just, I just don't think about any of that kind of stuff. Um, I think, I think it's really interesting. Um, you're right though. I think that preservation and, and uh, preserving that human history is important, especially in times of crisis. And it's, it's topical now. Let's say, okay, let's for, for discussion purposes, let's say this pandemic we're in right now gets way worse. Um, and we have to start over as a society having that history and that art and that culture. I, I think that's integral to the, to the ways. And I think Jasper, he exemplifies this a lot too, with just his, his reference for kind of anything in the past. I mean, he's listening to the Rolling Stones. He's listening to like hip hop. He's listening to weird trap music. I mean, whatever, right? He's that guy that he's like a Renaissance man. And I think that we, we learn our, we learn about mistakes from history. And I think that's what the art kind of represents in, in, in that a little bit. Sure. I mean, and then like, you know, like the statue of David is sort of, it's viewed as like absolute perfection. So, I mean, that's kind of a big deal. <laughs> I think there's a lot of symbolism there. <laughs> totally. Well, it's interesting too, because it was, if you noticed his it's leg broken leg. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It will, and art is meant to be viewed by all, right? But he had to go through, like, what was it, one or two checkpoints just to get it. It's it's in this compound where no one can see it. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it's in, it's kind of contradictory to to having it, but just something I thought about a little bit. So sure, I mean. Art in this, to me, I think it ultimately serves the purpose of world building. Um, it, it, it's why the background is so important, because it connects and mirrors the real world. It's it's a moment in this drab, bleak movie. It's a moment of beauty amongst all of that. This also shows us the values and ethics in the background, um, and it reminds us of hope and realism. So there are a few examples and... I'm wondering if you saw these or not. So when Key is first seen when she's posing uh, naked, she's holding her breasts and her her pregnant belly is out. Um, that mirrored the famous painting, The Birth of Venus. Did you spot that at all? Yeah, that's like a that's actually a pretty famous pose. And like anytime someone does like some sort of spread in a magazine or something, they also have that same pose. Right. Uh, Koran threw a lot of uh, religious aspects in this film too, but sure. uh, yeah, that was that was a beautiful shot, beautiful shot, and it was that revelation for Theo that where he was this cynical, hopeless man just waiting for the world to end because there was no way that uh, hu- humanity would exist any longer. Um, here you have a complete one eighty, and he's like, "Holy shit! This you know this miracle just happened." So I thought that that was a really integral part of the film. Um, outside of Nigel, uh, Nigel's his cousin. Outside of his compound, there is a giant inflatable pig. Did you see that? No, I don't think I noticed. So it's it's uh, when he's talking to him. And uh, that is a reference to Animals by Pink Floyd, the Pink Floyd album. I'm not a huge Pink Floyd fan. 
but they loosely based a lot of that stuff off of 1980 or I'm sorry, Georgia Orwell's Animal Farm. Did you read Animal Farm? Uh, in high school, I did, but I can't tell you what it's about. <laughs> <'Cause> I, <laughs> wow, you paid attention, didn't you? I did not. <laughs> there were a few books I didn't pay attention to in high school. Sure. So did you? Yeah, I actually read it in junior high and in college. What do you remember? Um, that the pigs make up all the rules and they're constantly rewriting them and they're telling everyone else on the farm how to live their lives. And, you know, uh, Boxer, he was this super mega workhorse and they worked him to death until it was time for him to go off to the glue factory. And um, it was it was pretty scary stuff. You're like, oh, man, these pigs are the worst. And they're the ones writing all the rules and no one else knows how to read. No one knows how to write. And they're the ones that are just sitting up there and and, and enjoying life as a as a as a pig. And everyone else has got to suffer. Kind of like the uh, kind of like the government. Um, mm-hmm. They were they were, you know, regulating w- who was an immigrant, who could be allowed into certain places. I think this movie coming out in 2006 was scary uh, just because of the recent terrorist attacks around that time. But also it mirrors kind of what's been happening in the past five years. Things like Brexit or closing our borders. It's uh, it's just it, it's interesting. I think that was a pretty on the nose reference in, in my opinion. But I uh, I really enjoyed that. Thank you for that insight on Animal Farm because I don't remember a thing about that book. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty nuts, dude. It's actually really short. You can read it like in, I don't know, probably an hour. It's only like 114 pages. Is it a picture book? Because I can't read. So. I don't know if there are pictures. I don't. There might be like a, a like a few illustrations by chapters, you know? Um, but yeah, there was just two pigs, uh, like Napoleon and uh, Snowball or some shit. And then... Um, uh, I just remember Boxer was the horse, and then uh, I got bad. It's depressing. Oh, damn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, I'll check it out. Uh, there was a Banksy painting in the background, too. And then he talked about Michelangelo's David. Uh, these relics are just reminders that we must not forget history, good or bad, because uh, as always, history is prone to repeat itself. And this is uh, Coron's way of being cautionary to us. So. Yeah, I think art's, art's super important in this. There's just a ton of references. And and this is why I think it's highly re- rewatchable is is going through it again and picking up on these on these references. So, Well, with you telling me now, I don't have to go back and watch it ever again. But you should. And then <laughs> it's not going to happen. <laughs> not going not gonna to work here anymore. <laughs> Eat a popsicle so you're happy or something like that. I don't know. Is there is there a joke on the popsicle? I don't know. Eat a jello pudding pop. I don't know. Whatever Whatever you want, man. I think they went out of business. Oh. There's spokespersons in jail. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look good. There's pills <laughs> in that there, Jello. <laughs> a, okay, so a trope that has been used throughout film history is the story of a reluctant hero that is given a treacherous or dangerous task. The hero is usually isolated and struggles with any type of empathetic uh, connections. When they are forced into this task by some external force like money or... Uh, someone's commanding them or need they change who they are slowly uncovering their true selves this movie draws a similar comparison to the movie logan which i know that you've seen uh our hero must set (laughs) our hero must set aside their personal doubts and maintain hope throughout their journey by selflessly completing said task no matter what the cost yeah become an x-men Hell yeah. So why does this kind of trope work so well with a reluctant hero who who must complete this task? Well, I mean, in the sake of for Theo, he 
he didn't even want to do it in the first place. Like, I mean, to, it, was, to, it wasn't until his life was threatened that he decided to grab Key. Uh, the, even when Julianne Moore gets shot in the car and they make it to the farmhouse, he's like, all right, who's going to take me back to London? It wasn't until he overheard and saw that the, the culprits in the attack were the very same people he is there to help. And when they decided that that his character, that Theo was to be murdered so that, uh, you know, we would tie up all loose ends. That's when he decided to get out of Dodge. And he realized if, I, if they're going to kill me, they could do something to her. So it wasn't he was more selfishly motivated than anything else. It wasn't like all of a sudden he had this this epiphany that, oh, you know what? I'm going to be a good guy for a change. It was more of a, a fight or flight sort of sense. And then he got stuck with her. If you ask me, I, I slightly disagree with that just in the sense of, uh, when he saw key, I think a lot changed in him. So we get this idea of who he is where again, he's just waiting. I, I, I do agree with that. Like, I mean, he did see that she, was special and that she is is pregnant and this is a big deal but you know he was still gonna leave for london in the morning right he was gonna leave her with them yeah that the uh the straw that broke the camel's back was when he found out they planned it and then they were gonna kill him actually they said that you know kill kill theo in the morning or whatever yeah then he was Um, like oh shit i gotta go exactly because he could he could have just been like hey i'll leave myself but he realized he has to get that baby because he even speaks up, you know, when Key is trying to decide what she wants to do. He's like, she needs doctors. If you show this baby to the world, you make it public, this will change the world. But the fishes mm-hmm. were skeptical. Um, and and I think that uh, they do a really good job of setting up Theo's past ways where he was this strong political activist. And he kind of underplays it a bit, too, when Julianne Moore is, is telling him, you know, he was he was this great guy and, and all this kind of stuff. And he was such a radical but now he's this bureaucratic reporter who doesn't really give a shit. Uh, when he saw Key, that a light bulb just clicked, and he was like, "Holy shit! I I know what my purpose is." In in this is how I just interpreted it, at least. But uh, you're right. I I think that when he, without him stumbling upon them, I think that was what pushed him over the edge, and was like, "I have to act now." Mm-hmm. So it was it was really interesting. And in Logan, um, I think that, you know, because Logan's reluctant in that movie the entire time to help out um, uh, Laura. And he does it for money at first with the motivation of just escaping. But he soon realizes and finally breaks down, stops living his lie because he's been living a lie the entire time that he desires family. That's all he wants is family. And he lost his entire family, the X-Men, the X-People. But... Does that kind of make sense? Yes. Okay. I think Logan's a fantastic. I have film. seen Logan. <laughs> oh, I know. Oh, I know you have. I I've seen it more than I've seen Children of Men. I've seen Logan a bunch. I absolutely love that film. Can you think of any other movies kind of like that? Kind of like Logan or, or Children of Men? Maybe not the same subject matter, but a basically like a reluctant hero that I is Chappie uh, from Iron Eagle is a reluctant hero. <laughs> All right, the pepperoni over here. That's he's, a size he's, he's been doing it for 22 goddamn fucking years. Fucking years. <laughs> I think he's only got three days, Chappie. Yeah. Oh, Jesus, Chappie, only got three days. Talking, you're going to waste one of them. All right, you play that tape if I go down <laughs> at any cost. Uh, so I, I put um, the, where is it? So I put Unforgiven 
um, because I think that Will Money is kind of that entire way. He's like, I'm just going to go along for this. Uh, what? What? I love that movie. So do I. But when Ned it gets killed. Bent. <laughs> I used to say it ain't bent every day of my life when I was a kid. <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god, that little punk runt. And he's like, get your hands off my rifle, mister. I'm just gonna check it for you. In case it's bent. It ain't bent. The Schofield kid? Is that who yeah. you yeah. yeah. Well when uh when Ned gets killed, Will has this immediate change where he Schofield kid's talking to him and he's asking what happened, and he just grabs a bottle of wild turkey and just takes a pull and he's like he's pissed and you can just tell. So I, I think that's a good example, but um, yeah, I like that movie a lot. I mean, I an see what you're saying. Yeah. But I mean, is, is he, is what, is he a reluctant hero? Clint I think he's a character. Isn't he kind of just a bad guy? Uh, so other I, bad guys? <laughs> so I, I, I'd say he's a reluctant anti-hero, but sure. uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So, sure. I, you know, it's, 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 that's up for debate, but, uh, if anyone well, shoots at me, I'm going to kill them and kill their family and their friends and the house next to them. And all that other bullshit. <laughs> he's kind of a mean dude. He's kind like, of mean. He shoots the, the owner of Grady's and or Greeley's and, He's like, you just shot an unarmed man. Well, he should have armed himself. He's, he's, <laughs> he's right, dude. though. He's right, yeah. though. <laughs> sure. Uh, Leon the Professional. What do you think about that? Yeah. I think I that's mean, a good one, too. Sure. And then uh, finally, the only other one I could really think of, and I'm sure there's a ton out there, but Saving Private Ryan, uh, Tom Hanks's character, he is just like, this is just a freaking job. We're, we're just, we have to do this as his orders, but he ends up sacrificing himself so uh, Private Ryan can survive, essentially. Uh, I think that that is the rise of the reluctant hero. And I just think it works because what's your Robert California quote about an underdog? Oh, it's um, there's something about the underdog that really inspires the unexceptional. <laughs> <laughs> I think everybody kind of kind of can relate with that kind of stuff of just being an underdog or being reluctant to do something and being forced into incredible situations. So, yeah. Uh, okay, well, so the long take is used brilliantly throughout this film. I think there are many shots where uh, Koran and Chivo use the long shot to great effect. Um, I think the average screen time or the average shot of this film is about 15 seconds, which is crazy. But uh, the one in particular that I'm thinking of, just like Boogie Nights, you know, it's incredible and it's hard to argue against the car scene. It's one of the greatest long takes of all time. You know the car scene I'm talking about, right? <laughs> yeah. You always remind me of, of uh, Chris Traeger in Parks and Rec, where he's like, literally the greatest, whatever, hot pocket I've ever had. Like, he always, you always find a way to make something the best that there mm. ever was. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just a happy guy, man. Sure. Uh, so I think that the execution of verbal exposition is abruptly interrupted by a shocking moment of violence, further pushing Theo to question his own beliefs. Uh, we're put, we as an audience are put in the scene as not an observer, but a passenger along for the ride. What other striking imagery or scenes in this movie stood out for you while watching? Oh man. Um, I think him on the, anytime he was on the train. And there's he's passing by uh, refugees uh, that are dehumanized or that are throwing stuff at the trains as they go by. 
Um, I think uh, I always thought that those were the most powerful scenes in the entire movie is mm-hmm. uh, especially when um, the lady that they're traveling with, what's her name? Like Miriam or something. Oh yeah. Miriam. She, when she gets the bag put over her head as the train's pulling away and you see all those um, refugees on their knees with bags on their heads. And then it goes to the bodies of the refugees um, and they get, everyone's getting yelled at They're They're not treated as people when really they just don't have papers to be in this country. They have literally done nothing wrong. They're not criminals. They're just not citizens of England. And yeah. they are immediately seen as villains to the, the establishment. Right. Um, to me, that is some of the most powerful imagery that I have ever seen. Uh, because it's true to this day. Same with uh, kids and families in uh, holdings, you know, for uh, like with the Mexican border. Well, there's people that were taken away. There was that one picture of that father and daughter that were uh, face down in the water that had perished. Um, I mean, that's literally, you would think that was taken right out of a movie and that was, you know, shot at our borders. It's terrible and it's horrifying and Something like that just always resonates with me, and it's very hard for me to watch. Oh, I 100% agree. It's it's crazy that a movie from 2006 is so relevant 14 years later, sure. where we can still see this imagery, and we can still see the bigotry throughout the world and the hatred, and it's just, it's awful. It's so awful, and I think that's that's why this is such a cautionary tale. It's like we need to knock this shit off, or this is going to be a reality. Sure. Because fear makes people do crazy things. So, so for me, it's it's not necessarily you know long takes or um, you know a certain camera technique. It's the visuals that um, of this ugly world that are mirroring us right now. That's to me, that's the most powerful stuff in this film. Yeah, I agree. And I think that's so that lends to what I was saying previously, how paying attention to the background and how we purposely focus on the background. We see those things like when they are wheeling key out, it's towards the end of the movie. They're wheeling her out of that corner apartment with the elderly couple and they're getting ready to run right before they get kidnapped by the fishes. Um, There's a crying mother holding her dead son in the streets at Bexel prison and she's crying. She's speaking a different language. Um, there is a famous painting that that mirrors and I, I I forgot to look it up, but that was something where we're following our, our main protagonists. And then we pan over just to look at that, just to remind us how brutal their situation is and, and how ugly the world is around us. Like that was along the same lines of what you're saying. That was powerful to me. I'm like, holy shit. <laughs> it's just, it's hard to watch, man. Mm-hmm. But, and then uh, the opening explosion on fleet street, yeah, that that's one of my favorite parts when he's if he's just minding his own business, and that could happen to anybody at any time. It's terrifying, especially nowadays. Like you're saying, we just think of you, you turn on the news; it's 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 it mirrors what's happening with this, or at least it did before this, you know, before coronavirus. But it's uh, it's brutal, and the sensationalization of of, of these things happening too, and just all the the billboards and everything saying, you know, it's your job to report illegal immigrants when they're on the bus and, and the advertisements are saying, my cousin, my neighbor, my gardener, my barber, they're all illegal. It's your job to report them and that kind of stuff. That's so horrible. And that kind of message that they're sending out there. Right. No, it's, it's bad. I mean, and it could be anywhere. It could be at a coffee shop. It could be at a school for crying out loud. It could be at a church. We literally aren't safe anywhere. 
it is it is horrifying. It's it's disgusting and it's horrifying. And seeing it in this movie, it just it just brings me chills, and I and I hate it. And that's another reason why I I, I can acknowledge that this movie is brilliant, but I don't enjoy it. Yeah. <laughs> there's, nothing, <laughs> there's nothing for me to enjoy in this movie. It is it is torture for me. I'll just uh, bring you a blanket. I'll put a blanket on you because you're chilly. So. Sure. Yeah. Or I'll wrap my arms around you. My big old bear arms. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I'll, I'll move on from that. So you're not, we're not doing on it too much. Well, no, but... I mean, I mean, I'm just saying that's like, uh, I mean, it's just one of those things where it is, it is, it's scary stuff and it's, it's a harsh reality. And, totally. and the, the book is fiction, but I mean, to, to what degree, right? It's, it's mm-hmm. literally happening. It's, it's almost like a, like historical fiction where you have some real event, but a, a fictional story inside of a real event is it's literally like uh, art imitating life, imitating art. It's, it's awful. This is supposed to be seven years from now, fictionally. Yeah. And then which that's... is terrifying to me. It's absolutely terrifying. And the crazy thing is, I don't know how far fetched this movie is, honestly. It's fiction, it's yeah. but with, with, with a dose of like some yummy sugar or something like that. It's just. It reminds me of, um, did you ever see Brazil or Equilibrium or uh, you've seen Total Recall, but that's yeah. what it kind of reminds me of is that big brother dystopian kind of brainwashing movie. And, uh, ugh, right. Yeah. But what's cool about this one is it's not really relying too much on science fiction or technology. Yeah, you that's know, actually, it's, it's very true. Very true. The only real sense of technology that we get is when he goes to the office and he ha- they have those um, unique looking monitors on their desktops. Um, they sort of look like a circuit board with um, a video playing. And uh, that is really it. You yeah. Know, we don't really get much use of anything else. You have, you have the kid, the kid that's playing the game, like Nigel's son, he's playing that weird game at dinner, but right, uh, right. otherwise, no, you're but even that, right. But even that game looks like some sort of 1970s look of the future tech, you know, <laughs> like a push button tech, like with aliens, you know, like yeah. how it just, it's a, it's a, an old movie with old tech that looks new. It's really weird. I don't know. It's hard to describe. You mean you got to use your hands? That's a yeah, baby's it's like game. A baby's toy. <laughs> yeah. Oh shit! I remember when we got a when I got Nintendo Wii's and me, Dave, and Randy, and we're watching David play uh, Twilight Princess. We went at midnight to GameStop and bought our Wii's. Uh, we pre-ordered them and everything, and we're sitting there playing it. And you got to like wrangling all those goats at the farm or whatever and it keeps saying like goat in goat in <laughs> and we just couldn't stop saying you have to use your hands it's like a baby's <laughs> toy yeah oh uh, no that's uh, you know that's that's i'm glad you brought that up because that's exactly what i was thinking too i'm like i aside from that i mean they're using cars they're not flying cars you know they're nothing that they're wearing is futuristic and it's the only thing that they have is there's a couple things of, of newer technology, but that's, I think what makes it so, so grim and so, uh, truthful maybe, but mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, crazy it's very stuff, grounded. Man. Yeah. It's, it's really grounded. Totally. Totally. Uh, so the title children of men, what does that kind of mean to you? Um, sure. So in kind of a weird answer, um, when my grandmother was 80 years old, I got this book called For Our Children's Children. And it was basically me interviewing her about her life so that my kids would know who my grandmother was. Um, 
and to get to know her because through the 80 years that she's been on this planet, she had survived, um, you know, the great depression. Her family had survived the Armenian genocide. Um, she had lived through world war two, um, and so on and so forth. So she had a lot of fun stories and interesting stories to tell me. And without asking those questions, without preserving that piece of history, I wouldn't know who she was. And to me, when I think of children of men, I think of sort of on that same lines, like this, without these questions, without these answers, we don't really know who we are or what we used to be. It's, it could all be gone tomorrow and no one would even know what we were all about. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think, I think it's what we were kind of talking about earlier too, with the art is keeping that history and keeping that, that hope going on. Cause that, that's kind of what the stories that your grandmother told. It's, it's like hope almost you have these, these things that you can pass on to, to your children and then their children's children and so on and so forth. Um, it's yeah, it, it's really interesting. Uh, Apparently, the title did come from a Bible verse. Uh, I am not, I'm not what you call a Bible reader very much, but. Um, you're, just a, you're just a Bible thumping son of a bitch. You don't have to open said Bible. You just got to, you got to thump it, see. Yeah, thump it. Yeah. It's, from, it's from Psalm 90. So if you guys, you know, that old, that old chestnut. Just that uh, old go Psalm. Read, yeah. go, go, go read that. <laughs> yeah, no, that old chestnut. That's so, great. um. So basically, uh, I think the long and short of it, I don't even want to actually say it because I don't want to misquote it, but how I kind of interpreted it is that it's it basically is representing the fall of man from a former position of great power and existence. Um, and that's why history is so important for us to document and, and to hold, because even if it seems futile and, and hopeless now, faith and chance will always uh, persist and will always push on and, and, and create opportunities for us and evolution occurs and all that jazz. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just really, it, you know, Jasper says it too. He goes, he's like faith and chance. Do you believe in that? Because Theo and Julian met because their faith was so strong in the cause. They were activists. Now it was chance that they had Dylan, their son. And I think it goes hand in hand. You know, unfortunately, Dylan passed away uh, due to the flu, which is scary now. But um, it, it's just—it's so interesting. You know, men will turn to dust eventually. So, what do we do? Or so what? Yeah, sorry. So, what do we have to leave behind for future future generations? When the possibility of future generations is gone, all hope is lost. Um, we're all just kind of waiting for the world to end. It in this in this if we were living in this fictional world. Um, until we find something that just instills this hope in humanity in us. And Theo found that through the baby. So that's how I kind of look at it. But yeah, thank you for sharing that story. Yeah, you're welcome. You can hope. That old chestnut. It's a good one. <laughs> it's a good chestnut. Yeah. And, I, and I've had lots. You should roast it over an open fire. I used to say, you know, that old chestnut at work all the time. And, and my voice carries so far, especially in that empty target. And <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> I, I remember one time, uh, Mackenzie from HR, she was like, oh, my God, Justin, you had me die and laugh. I'm like, what? why? She goes, because you were all the way over in electronics. And I was all the way by Checkline 18, which is like, uh, you know, our, our dead register that we just had for like go backs and stuff. And she's like, and out of nowhere, I just heard you go, you know, 
that old chestnut. <laughs> and that's that's far. That's like a hundred yards. <laughs> you can just hear me talking like plain as day. That's so funny. <laughs> It's funny because you asked me earlier too. You were like, "Were you were you annoyed when I called you idiot?" And I'm like, "No," because I know you. You're like, "Oh yeah, yeah." You just <laughs> so, certain voices you have. I just know automatically, like how you say it. So yeah, it works like that. That all just not, you know. So. Yeah. Anyways, I'll sum this up real quick because we've just gone on for a while. But I mean, I I can talk about this movie for hours. I absolutely fucking love this movie. Um, not just for the stunning masterclass of cinematography. Chivo is just such he's he's so great. But for a highly compelling and far too realistic, like we were talking about, a far too real, too realistic story strengthened by su- superb performances. This bleak dystopian future is not far off from what could eventually be our world. War, disease, natural disasters. You know, they've all devastated the world and we need to be careful. We need to be caution or we need to take this as a cautionary tale. People try to migrate to the last remaining populated areas only to be shunned away by immigration laws and a new police state of governmental bureaucracy. We must not make mistakes in the future. We must learn from our history. Quran uses the world to build the narrative, not not overtly explaining what has been going on with an opening voiceover or a title crawl like Star Wars. Quran developed such a cautionary and thought provoking film that continued to stay with me even until this day. And this movie demands additional viewings in order to learn more <laughs> about the well, unless you're Justin, <laughs> but additional viewings in order to learn more about the state of humanity expressed through the background imagery. Sorry, I wrote all that down because it was just my my mind was flowing and I needed to 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 write. But does that do you kind of grasp grasp that? I I fucking love it. I think this is a I think this movie is a masterpiece. I, sure. I I kid you not. Yeah. That's a good movie. You should go see it. Just don't eat rubbery chicken afterwards. Oh, that sounds so gross. That makes me not want to eat chicken ever again. And I I don't eat chicken, so that's good. Uh, what do you give this movie grade? I give it an A plus. I like it. I like it. I love it. How did you watch it? Uh, to last night? Yeah. How did I watch it? Um, I watched it via stars. So did I. I uh, I enjoyed it. I which by, which, by the way, Hamlet 2 is on stars, and you got to check it out. It's so stupid and funny, and I love it. And it would mean the world to me if you gave it a whirl. I will do that, because you texted me last night. Um, is it Steve Coogan who's in it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny, dude. Holy shit. It's it's ridiculous. <laughs> oh, talk about underdogs. He's he's a great underdog. I like him in the other guys. He's like, gentlemen, you can have Jersey Boys or Mamma Mia. <laughs> have you seen the other guys? Uh yeah. I have. Oh, he's so good in that. So uh cool. I yeah, I give it an A plus 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 plus. Uh I think it's a masterpiece. Um it gets better with each viewing it gets scary and relevant but uh yeah i think a lot of people out there our buddy rob uh digifluid he absolutely loves this movie and for a lot of the reasons we kind of talked about so same with my buddy aaron but yeah sorry that was kind of long but uh i just wanted to wanted to talk about this movie man i see that hell yeah (laughs) great great choice you know you finally picked a good one so Uh, hamlet (laughs) 2 stay tuned next week for hamlet 2 it's so funny because he's like a drama teacher and it's one of those ones like they're gonna close the rec center unless we come up with enough money kind of thing and so in this case it's we're gonna close drama and uh he is so funny he writes this play hamlet too and his girlfriend is uh katherine keener 
and like from 40 year old version, if you know who she is. And she's like, Didn't everybody die in Hamlet? It's like, <laughs> I built a device. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's so funny. It's got like everything. It's got Jedi, it's got gangsters, it's got it's got Hamlet, and it's it's dynamite. All Absolutely right, love it. This better not be a situation like Nutty Professor where I'm not laughing as much as you are. <laughs> Close the door. <laughs> Oh my god, I love that that whole scene. My professor's great. You're just a crazy person. I know. Well, can I take us home? I mean, you can if you need to. I was right. kind of talking about the Hamlet toe. <laughs> I'm I'm ex- I'm going to watch it, I promise you. You you sure. ask me and that's what good friends do is they they blindly go into things with Yes. Yes, blindly. <laughs> What do I have to lose? It's 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 just what an hour and a half. Yeah, that's about it. And yeah. there's a um, at the end of the movie, it plays this uh, "Got the Look" song, not the rock set "Got the Look," but the one where it's like "Got the Look, Got the Look." And every <laughs> there was this period in my life where every time I was just in the middle of something, I just go "Got the Look, Got the Look." <laughs> like that it's so stupid but it just stuck with me forever and I, it, it took a long time to shake that and now i'm worried that we just opened up a can of worms and i'm just gonna start saying it again oh it's so stupid got the look got the look <laughs> like in a lilo pivo lou rose teddy pentagrass <laughs> teddy B, number six yeah woo <laughs> <laughs> There's some bir- there's some birthday cake. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. <laughs> I had a birthday yesterday. Got some cake inside. It's pretty good. <laughs> Shit, that's a movie. So Django, that movie, I was watching it today. Of course, I've seen it uh, multiple times, but it's it's kind of two movies. Yeah, at the beginning, it's kind of got this adventure vibe going, and it's kind of funny, and horrible things are happening, but it's there's this uh, positive energy that's coming because of all the justice that's, that's being dispersed across the land. But once um, Monsieur Candy comes on screen, it is just cranking that tension up to 11 and, and it doesn't stop for like 90 minutes. (laughs) And it's really hard to watch. (laughs) Extremely hard to watch. Like I'm kind of laughing and chuckling along the first, first hour or so. And then it just, it's just, it's, it's, rough mm-hmm. really really rough it's one of my favorite tarantino movies i absolutely it, adore it so. what is your favorite tarantino movie real quick i mean probably pulp fiction uh, i think it's just because well i mean and if you would have asked me 10 years ago i wouldn't have said pulp fiction i don't know i mean i, I don't know what i would have said inglorious bastards maybe but uh inglorious is high up there i mean it's got to be like probably two or three but uh pulp fiction is is just so good i think it's just timeless and there's so many great um takeaways from it one-liners just the style of film that it was you know um i just truly enjoy pulp fiction a lot but i mean django's django's really high up there too i think it's like django and inglorious are are two two a and two b maybe or two and three so mm-hmm. just hard to tell i love kill bill but i honestly it it didn't resonate as well as it did for like Django and Inglorious for me. So mm-hmm. I like Once Upon a Time a lot as well. So I love That's Hateful Eight. <laughs> so oh 
<laughs> at the end of uh, uh, Once Upon a Time when he's like, bunch of fucking hippies. <laughs> 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 it's so funny. Like, that's just, that's his takeaway. They're just a bunch of crazy. I love when he goes out with a with a uh, blender full of margarita and he like kicks the car and he just takes it takes a chug out of it. What are you doing on my street? I know. <laughs> oh my god, that's so funny. Oh, can't take it. Yeah, Leo Leo's pretty great in that. That that movie's great from both of them. I just I love Brad Pitt and Leo in that. It's so good. So. That's pretty good. That's a good movie. You All should right. definitely go see it. <laughs> Jeez, extra giggle juice tonight for Justin. (laughs) Oh my God. Anyway, um, feel free to take us out, sir. All right. Can you contain? Have you heard about this? Have you seen this? (laughs) Have you seen about this? It's pretty great. You know, that old chestnut. All right. Thank you for listening to the Don't Be Crazy podcast. Please remember to follow us on Twitter at DBCrazyPod, at EdgyArmo, and at ZachDale60, where you can share your thoughts with us and we will discuss them on our show. Give us recommendations, give us shout-outs, tell us we're ugly, do whatever you want. But, uh, you know, always remember, don't be crazy. Thank you for listening. Thank you so much.